fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me. The physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennett. Dan, it is so awesome to be here. You know I'm a positive person. I don't like to criticize. And so That's true. Not, not really a criticism here, but I would just say someday I would love to us to discuss the quantum world. But lacking a movie that actually shows the quantum world, I love discussing the movie you picked. Well, I can't wait to get into it. It's not ideal, but I think it's going to get the job done. Uh, and that's a perfect way to describe our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, where, where are you? Are you still up at the brain station getting things done orbiting the Earth? You know, Dan, I, I always I try to think of myself as perfect, but the reality is, you know, it's it, we can't always live up to that. So, sure. you know, this week, though, I have been wondering about what it would take to be really, really small. But I'm really worried about the cost of the tiny atoms it would take to get so small. I think that's a wonderful concern. And hopefully we're going to address that today as we talk about the movie Quantumania, the latest installment of Ant-Man and Wasp. And this is kind of interesting, guys, because we haven't really talked about shrinking. And we mm -hmm. see it in a lot of things in pop culture. Uh, and I'm curious, before we jump right into this, Denon, what is, you know, we got Fantastic Voyage, you got Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You know, was there any, did this ever kind of come up when you were youth or did this not really intrigue you that much? Oh, it really did. And and I think um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is probably the one that's most memorable to me. Um, yeah, right. Just because of the time I saw it um, and, and, and the stress associated with being small and having large creatures attack you. Um, sure. As I matured and really um, got into the world's most fascinating substance that there is, which is foam, um, <laughs> I really got excited by things that came up um, in the, the Disney movie, A Bug's Life. Um, because okay. there they actually talk about surface tension being one of the mm. biggest problems for small creatures. And and for us as humans, surface tension um, doesn't come in nearly as much. So there's cool physics when you get small. There's fun movies. Um, but I do think for me, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is, is the one that was most impactful. It is, it is a good one. I think they find like a, a cookie in the middle of the yard. I remember that and the ants going yeah. and, and getting that. Yep. Uh, what about you, Ben? You feel like a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids kind of guy as well. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching that as a kid and being, I, I kind of remember, I, I forget if it's a sprinkler or a rainstorm where they're like dodging the giant water <laughs> droplets. Yeah. Uh, and then I remember going to, um, I don't remember which theme park in Florida it is. It must have been Universal, right? Because I don't think that's a Disney property. Mm -mm. Um, but they had like a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids like, you know playground and you got to oh. like pretend you know see the things big like have that perspective as a little kid it was very cool <laughs> that's great i love that uh, it, yeah. it does feel like a disney property now that you mention it it does feel very family friendly uh despite the gigantic creatures that are trying to kill their children <laughs> as they go across the yard to try to get back home yeah, I think it was at Universal Studios. I'll have to go back and uh, do some research on that one. <laughs> yeah, we'll find that out. Put in the Ayers editions at the end. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it is, you know, when you think about it, it is kind of a weird movie where you have this irresponsible father who shrinks his <laughs> children down and then they get scattered into the yard where then they have to fight for their lives to get back home. Uh, you know, this is a pretty brutal, this, this to me encapsulates life, right? You mentioned about your positive, Denon. Uh, this really, this is what life is like. It's trying to overcome gigantic obstacles, you know, using the hand that you're dealt, and sometimes the hand that you're dealt is that you're very, very small. 
<laughs> and you know, so I have to admit, as a kid, I was always on the small side, Dan. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I really appreciated, um, tried to find the positive features of being small. I could hide in smaller places. I was better at hide and seek. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I had to be a little more creative in things. Um, I always felt being small meant you were quicker. I don't know if that's true, but that was what <laughs> I told myself. That's always true. Um, you know. <laughs> uh, more yeah. agile, like the, the rapid movement, not like the long-term sure. sprinting. Um, right. Quick you know, twitch. Quick twitch. Yeah, quick twitch. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I did recognize that being small, it was harder to get things on the top shelves. Um, that was a limit. Mm. It is true. Uh, my grandma always used a little pair of pinchers to get stuff on the top shelf. Uh, but, you know, this is you know, it's interesting because the sci- we're going to talk about the science of shrinking things. So that's really what we're, we're talking about here. And you know, human beings, we shrink throughout our lifetime, you know, roughly you know, one to two inches. Uh, but that's really just the cartilage between our vertebrae collapsing <laughs> in on themselves as mm-hmm. we age. That's not really the real, sh- that's yeah. not real shrinking here. Uh, so Dennett, you're a physics guy. Let's talk about real shrinkage, uh, the non-Seinfeldian shrinkage that will really, it, it's right. talk, that what they talk about in this movie. Yeah, I know really what you're talking about, right, are the size of all the atoms because you're trying to uniformly bring yourself smaller. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, people talk about, oh, there's a lot of space in atoms and we typically have our... You know, general view of atoms is little mini solar systems with electrons spinning around the nucleus. Mm-hmm. And what we know now is that's not really a great way to think of the atom. It's really a cloud of probability of where the electrons are. Um, and and But it really does come down to how big the electrons are. It, mm-hmm. I'm not how big they are. They're point particles. How far away <laughs> from the, the nucleus they are. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right, right. And so that is where your shrinkage comes from, Dan, is really the okay. size of the atoms. I think that's the mm-hmm. core thing to keep in mind. At some point, okay. you hit the size of the nucleus, and you got to do something different. But yeah. fundamentally, it's how far are the electrons away from the center of your atom. So what you're saying is we have to reduce the amount, the fundamental charge amount so that the... They're, they're hmm. closer together. Well, you do. You have a couple <laughs> options. You have a couple options, Ben, because the ultimate size, the radius of that atom, mm-hmm. is set by a few things. It's a ratio of the charge, the mass, um, and Planck's constant, and they all come mm-hmm. in in different ways. Um, and a, a, actually, what you want to do is increase the charge because that increases the attraction and gets things closer oh, together. Oh, right, of course. Um, so ah. that, that's kind of an interesting flip of it. Um, so that's one way to do it is if you could make fundamental charge stronger, your atoms get smaller. Mm. Or nuclear forces weaker? Or would well, that matter? No, that doesn't really matter because that's just your nucleus. Until you try and make your nucleus smaller. Um, ah. Right? It all gets very complicated, Dan. <laughs> it certainly does. Well, what, you know, we can't always, we, we got to always remember the nucleus. Don't forget about the nucleus. Uh, but, you know, and so in the world of Marvel, Shrinking kind of happens from Pym particles. So, the, you know, um, uh, Dr. Pym has created, found these particles and, and used them as a way to shrink things down. And this is kind of interesting because I think that and you have quite an interesting theory on how that could actually work, uh, which, which made sense to me, I think. Well, yeah. Now, the cool thing about using particles is we know, as I mentioned, Mass is one of the things that sets this this typical size of how far out the electrons are. And if you can increase their mass, they also shrink in and it gets closer together. Um, mm-hmm. And mass is something in the universe that's set by the Higgs boson. It's a particle itself. And it mm-hmm. determines the mass, kind of like, you know, making goopy stuff that you move through and it's harder to move through, right? Right, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. The Higgs bosons sit around like that. So pim particles 
could be another fundamental particle that PIM discovers that also impacts our mass and changes it. Or, as Ben pointed out, maybe, like, right now, charge seems fundamental. It doesn't seem to come from a particle. But mm -hmm. that doesn't mean it doesn't. We don't know where it comes from. Um, yeah. And as we better understand our fundamental theories, maybe charge also exists because of a particle. Um, and, and so the PIM particle could be mass messing with these fundamental constants locally, and then suddenly you shrink or grow, depending which way it goes. Well, and changing charge would also change the speed of light, right? So we could get a double fun? <laughs> Maybe. No, I mean, uh, speed of light is just the speed of light. It's one of those constants with charge. It's one of the okay. few fundamental ones. But you could have another particle that changed the speed of light, Ben, and then oh. you, you get other fun. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is really interesting. Uh, mm. Well, see, I mean, it feels like, you know, with, we could mess around with all these little, you know, adjustment here, adjustment there, make things bigger, smaller, or move faster. I, I like that idea, you know, because... One of the things that, that makes these movies so interesting is the shifting between large and small. You know, I mean, Ant-Man can become giant man and he can also shrink down mm -hmm. to the size of, you know, I, I get. Well, he gets very, very small, as we're going to talk about in this movie. Uh, there seems mm -hmm. to be, you know, there, a fundamental limit to how small he can get. But I imagine not a, a limit on how big he could get. Uh, but But let's talk about shrinking, because... Shrinking is something that I think is really interesting. And we mentioned Honey, I Shrunk the Kids as something that really, um, you know, kind of accentuates this point is that as you shrink or as you grow, you're really pulled out of your element. You know, we are kind of perfectly suited for where we are and the size we are because we're, mm -hmm. we're you know, pretty destroyable. We could be, that's not a word. Uh, we're, we're pretty, uh, we can be killed pretty easily. We don't have a lot of armor. <laughs> We don't really have mm -hmm. weapons. You know, our bite is really for, you know, oatmeal. You know, I mean, at best, maybe some nuts. You know, we're not really mm -hmm. meant for, like, rendering meat from bone. Uh, so when we shrink down, the world gets pretty gnarly and pretty dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so this is what I like. You know, I want to talk to you, Ben, as someone, you know, as an engineer, right? As yeah. you shrink, you're going to have to find ways to survive in an increasingly hostile environment. So what's the first thing you think about? Let's go with just a couple magnitudes of shrinking, yeah. not necessarily down to the, you know, microscopic level well obviously i mean you, the first thing to worry about is like the ants right you, mm -hmm. ants can like pick up 50 times their weight or something like that right uh it, it's it's pretty terrifying but but you also have to start thinking about like are we following the same rule because like hmm. there's the problem of the conservation of the mass right if if we're truly okay. being shrunk like our atoms are being squeezed together we're still gonna weigh a hundred something pounds um when we're little which means we're gonna like fall through stuff or uh, will be really dense and still have the same strength. Like if an ant could support a hundred and mm. something pounds, like we can, okay, then there's nothing to worry about. Like an ant's jaws can't aren't don't have a hundred pounds of force. <laughs> they just have proportionally a lot of force. <laughs> I see. Okay. Yeah. No. This is I, I, so actually. I, I I have to admit I find that interesting. I like Ben's point. I like your question, Dan. I'm still a little stuck on you said we're in the perfect sort of size for our world, and then you described us as completely destructible. How is it getting any worse? Like, I, <laughs> well, I have no armor, no weapons, and apparently everything's eating me. I'm in a state of panic right now, Dan, well, over the dangers you, of no, the world. Think, now, that makes sense, but think about it, Dan. And so we're here, we're a perfect size, but we're able to use technology to kind of augment ah, our weaknesses. Okay, right? yeah, okay. And so we know how to do that. We've been around in this world long enough, right? Once okay. we shrink down, 
you then have to, I, I probably didn't add this part, you then have to really improvise. And you you almost go back to a primitive state where wh- what kind of spear can I make out of what's around me right now? What Ooh. kind of you know armor can I make out of what's available to me? Let's say the ant level. This is great. Insect level, right? Yeah. What what can we what can we then improvise around us where we don't have a lab to make chemicals or to make you know <laughs> we can't smelt you definitely yeah. can't mm-hmm. you know uh, so ah. I, I think that's what I'm really saying. I like that. What's interesting is a lot of the properties of say non living matter you know so for the most part kind of persist on on the scale perspective like if you fashioned a sphere a sphere a spear <laughs> out of like a stick and a piece of rock that were proportionally the right size for you as a bug size they'd still work pretty well because like mm-hmm. what isn't you know a a a small spear that is that size is going to be still pretty stiff and still pretty sharp for mm-hmm. what it is so you right. can still probably spear an ant uh, if you are also ant size, um, mm-hmm. with with an appropriately sized spear, <laughs> yeah, and, and I think I think thanks for clearing that up, Ben. <laughs> I, I think Ben, what you're getting to is that ant size. We haven't changed fundamental physics, Dan. Right. right? We haven't okay. changed the yeah. properties of matter. We have just changed kind of what what I might call um, our physics of everyday life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Fair I mentioned enough, yeah. earlier surface tension, right? At at the scale of an ant, surface tension of water starts to matter. It's a big enough force that it's kind of in the force scales you're dealing with. Um, so certain things would be the same. Like, yeah, um, it would be hard to imagine making really teeny fire. Fire tends to grow. <laughs> right? Teeny fire. <laughs> and, and, right. And and because that's just what yeah. fire does, or go out. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. to to smelt. I think you're totally right, Dan. But if I find like a little tiny piece of mica, if I'm lucky enough to find a little rock and a little mm-hmm. stick and, and mm-hmm. I can take some of my hair or something and tie it together, then I get a little mini spear. So it, it's an interesting balance at that scale of the ant. Which physics has changed? I think Ben's right. The spear, if you could make it, yeah. is about the same. But yeah. things like surface tension and how fire behaves, water and fire are actually going to be a little different at that scale. You start to see yeah. some physics differences. So that's kind of the cool challenge. Mm. And, and I'm feeling much better, Dan. I'm over my panic of living in this good. world. You've, you've made me calm again. Okay. No, that's good. And we've talked about several episodes. We've talked about surviving. You know, I think we did a whole episode on Minecraft. And, yep. you know, we talked about Godzilla. So the, the, human, the physics on the human body are interesting that, that I want to get into as well. Well, I, I just like Den's response here because this finally explains why ants don't have uh, metallurgy and technology. <laughs> right. It's because fire's big. <laughs> right. Fire is very, very big. Well, and they it's can't harness be- fire. Because they, but they have the kind of their built-in tool. I mean, they have their jaws, which are yeah. which are gigantic. Yep. You know, when you're at that level, or at least they're very dangerous. But this is, you know, I want to talk about being at the ant level because a lot of the stuff we've talked about in the past, are, or at least the stuff that I've brought up, are really scary creatures and the world that is at that level, how dangerous it really is. You know, we in our Return of the Jedi episode, we talked about the ant lion. What does the antlion mm-hmm. feed on? Well, it's basically a sarlacc pit for ants. And if you're <laughs> ant size and you find yourself slipping down a sandy slope, guess what's waiting for you at the bottom? Not something I'm particularly interested in, neurotoxin and having my innards slurped out by some hidden beast under the ground. Mm-hmm. That's what you start to have to face. And we as humans is what I was saying, Den, and we as humans, we don't know what it's like to be at the bottom 
of the uh, food pyramid. We're used to being apex predators. Well, now when you're there, even if you're an invasive species, there are things that are going to try to kill you and will probably succeed. No, I think that's true. And I think the venom part is something I'm really interested mm. in both of you talking about. When I know there's a difference between venom and poison. I always get it backwards. Sure. Um, but but you mentioned that. And I think about it. Yeah, there are things that can hurt us with their venom and poison. But most venom and poison, it strikes me, as you just mentioned, Dan, neurotoxin stuff, are actually designed for the smaller scale and a slightly different chemistry and a slightly different sort of biological defense system. So I feel like you're totally right that a whole bunch of things that are dangerous open up when you get to the ant scale. And Ben, as our snake expert, can probably correct everything (laughs) there that I said that was wrong. Well, I think the interesting thing is, you know, you would entirely liquefy, Dan. You wouldn't get slurped out from the inside because you don't have the chitinous exoskeleton right. like You're the right. ant does. Uh, you know, that, that's a that's a thing for eating bugs, yeah. where where the, where you're in a nice uh, shell. Sure. Sure. <laughs> you, they're their own container. They're like both the cup they're, and the and the goo. Yeah, they're their own uh, cannoli. Uh. <laughs> yes. They are, and I'm not. I'm just the the, the cream puff yeah, filling. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's disgusting to think about. Well, you know, even you know, even wandering into a carnivorous plant. I mean, I I love the idea of plants that can feed on insects to survive. But you know, yeah. you could be walking. I mean, I wouldn't be attracted to the sweet scent, right? Like, so some of the the um the the. The techniques that that biology plants and insects use to attract you wouldn't work on humans necessarily. But, you know, I'm pretty klutzy. I could bumble and fall into a Venus flytrap. And then I'm part of, you know, some sort of plant-like stomach that's going to dissolve me. And then I don't need to have a carapace around me to to keep all my innards (laughs) intact. Yeah. Well, it does go to an interesting thing that we've never really talked about and I haven't um, thought about much, which is the beauty of this show, which is... The biological weapon warfare does tend to depend on the physical scale you're at because mm-hmm. some of these physics and chemistry features scale that way. Like a carapace, mm-hmm. it gets pretty heavy at our scale. I mean, walking around, we, we just know that, right? Mm-hmm. Walking around in plate mail is not fun. Um, and and it's, it is just a bit easier for an ant to do that. So you do see some large mammals that effectively have plate, but it's a very different body structure than we do. And it, it seems rare in my mind, right? You're much more likely to go with a thick hide than real plate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The dinosaurs did, I think. They had some some real nice bone plates. Yeah, but I I don't think it was a complete body-covered structure as Mm -hmm. often and at the scale we have, right? And like I said, their underneath structure had to be designed to support that in a different way. Right. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, the the biggest, like, fully armored things are, like, turtles. Um, (laughs) But they get big. I mean, there's 2,000-pound sea turtles, but they are sea turtles. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the thing. To remember, they don't have to, except for when they lay their eggs, they're, uh, they get to be neutrally buoyant. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty cool. Neutrally buoyant is pretty cool. Yeah. And, and as I mentioned, we talked about that in our Godzilla uh, King Kong episode, where how as you grow, the physics are different on the body. And as you shrink, they're yeah. also different as well. And you're able to with, you know, withstand and hold up those things. Uh, so let's move down to the microscopic level, guys. Let's let's go mm-hmm. a little bit smaller. You know, oh, the one thing I did mention before we leave the ant world, uh, parasitic <laughs> mm-hmm. wasps, which might be the mm. scariest creatures <laughs> in the 
world at their level, right? I mean, you know, it's funny when you look at, you know, like boxers, for example, right? Like there's great boxers, but there's weight divisions. So, you know, a featherweight right. might mm -hmm. be a fantastic boxer, but a heavyweight's just bigger and they're going to hit harder and it's difficult to compare the two, right? So this right. is the same. Mm -hmm. I think pound for pound, the parasitic wasp is one <laughs> of the scariest creatures in the animal kingdom, I would argue. And, you know, basically because they inject their larva into your body. And the last thing I want is for, you know, the the entire storyline of the first Alien movie to actually happen to me while I just <laughs> happen to get shrunk down yeah. to, to the ant level. That seems terrifying. And then the really terrifying thing is if you, if you get unshrunk while it's still in you, now you got a giant wasp. <laughs> I think that's, that's how it works. That is, oh my God, that's really scary. Oh man. Well, so so let's uh, let's take that. So let's you know let's leave that terror behind for a second. And now let's shrink ourselves down to like bacteria, fungus level, right? We've talked mm. on a lot of on a lot of episodes, including our Last of Us episode, where you know fungus, viruses, bacteria, they have a real arms race going on with their anti, you know, the antifungals, micro, antimicrobials, all that going on. So there's a very, uh, you know, a dangerous world there. Now, in fairness, they probably wouldn't affect us in the same way. But these, this seems to be a real war-torn country when you get down to the, the microscopic level. I don't know, Dan. I'm actually, I'm, I'm on the other side. Like, okay. you know, you know me, I don't like my apocalypse. Mm -hmm. Um, if that is the plural of apocalypse, I don't know. Sure. Yeah. 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 That's right. Um, but I, I would be really worried on that scale of just being overwhelmed because we okay. have a pretty strong, robust defense system against the type of chemical warfare they're doing, um, mm -hmm. in our own biome and our own, you know, protective skin, lots of different defenses, but most of it is, is I fear there's a quantity element here, okay. right? Mm -hmm. That the, the, the the chemicals they'll be secreting are now relatively and proportionately at a much higher level um, okay. mm -hmm. than what we experience every day. We still have our skin, yes. which is a very different barrier than they face, but our skin is ultimately cells that are now mm -hmm. a lot smaller. And um, it does make me, I mean, I just brings in mind the scene from Quantumania when the ants overwhelm the dude's shield just mm -hmm. using sheer numbers and yeah. i and i right. i just sense the sheer quantity and bath of chemicals flowing over us at this level um mm -hmm. i fear we would not last long it's like a zerg yeah. rush for like a to, to use a starcraft reference from my childhood. yes exactly you'd have a, exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean well it's, it's also you know scary to think like if you are the size of the bacteria and somehow you still have all the your faculties because you know how does that that how does a single cell thing and a multi-cell thing have the same size but let's ignore that problem let's ignore that well you've shrunk yeah. ben you've shrunk your <laughs> cells are much smaller than they were before well and yeah. then how do we interact if our cells our atoms are different sizes anyway not the problem yeah. we're discussing here <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing to think about though is like the way bacteria work is they generally speaking they kind of like um uh just surround and envelop yep, exactly. the thing they're they're consuming. So like, what are you gonna do? Like, you're not really gonna be able to punch your way out of a bacteria <laughs> that has engulfed you and is now dissolving you. Um, it, it's just, it's not a good situation <laughs> to be in. Uh, you know, once you're at that scale, like 
you know, like we talked about the surface tension, the surface tension of the bacteria is going to be stronger than what you're able to mechanically do to try to escape. Yeah. I mean, size yeah. comes with its advantages, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and this is really, you know, cause when you shrink down to an ant level, Okay, we've all observed ants. We've all observed insects. We know what the world looks like, but it is very mm -hmm. different to be looking down on an ant hill and kind of seeing what's going on, versus being yeah. a part of the ant hill and being right there, you know, in the mix, right, dealing with them completely. So this, and when you shrink down to the microbial level, we don't unless you're a virologist or a bacteriologist, you're not really looking at that world very often or even in no. your blood, right? Like your blood's got lots of stuff. You know, when we see it, it's yeah. this red stuff that comes out of your, your skin. But when you get down to the level, it's full of stuff. I mean, it's packed full of junk, yeah, not junk, but you know, it's got blood cell, red, white, uh, platelets, you know, all the kinds of things floating around there. oxygen, you know, there's all kinds yeah. of things going on in your blood. So when you go down to a level we're not used to, it's a completely alien world. I mean, I would imagine that it's akin to landing on some, you know, in intelligently populated far distant planet like Tatooine, let's say. Uh, well, that's not really populated, <laughs> is it? But let's say the cantina uh, in Star Wars. You just <laughs> sure. land there and it's totally alien to you. The people, the things, what's going on. That feels more akin to shrinking down to the bacteria level. Oh, for sure. I'll Although I think it's interesting because I, I think you wouldn't have to worry about the viruses because like how is a virus going to replicate in you when you're the same size as it? <laughs> They're all like hypodermic needles, though. You want to get I don't know. Are no, they? Ben's exactly right, Dan, because the needle okay. is now your size. Like the virus would not even notice you. Right. Okay. You are not attackable anymore by a virus. So okay. it really is interesting that what you're most worried about, I think, are the fungi and the bacteria in this case. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it really does show that psychological difference. If you shrunk to the size of the ant, you're still both multicellular creatures operating, like I said, on some of the same basic physics and structures. Right. Once yeah. you're at the idea of that bacteria and virus, um, life is very different. I mean, even if you're, you know, still, I don't know, say five times the size of a virus, mm -hmm. um, you're still small enough that the virus probably doesn't have any site to inject into. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, right. It's, its method of injecting into a cell might just, it might try and, and it would fail and kill you. Yeah, that's um, what I'm talking about. it wouldn't about. be very successful. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that could happen. <laughs> 100%. But you're not, you're not secreting the right chemicals at that point for it to think you're useful. Okay. Right? Yeah. So it would be well, that accidental stabbing just like you accidentally fell into the Venus flytrap, Dan. Right. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah. A virus re relies on you being the same size as it to, for its like chemical reactions essentially to interact with you and that mismatch of size is going to be a problem <laughs> yeah well a good problem to have but by, by the sound yeah of it. <laughs> but, but again the right. bacteria can eat you whole so uh <laughs> right that's not that's not good well so this is the other so in this movie things just kind of get smaller and smaller and smaller almost to a ridiculous level and you know the thing that we see which i think is kind of interesting is some of these creatures, even though they're the same size as like bacteria or whatever, they've in some ways harnessed it in the same way we've harnessed livestock. So you have some of these creatures with like flagella or, or flagellum or, or cilia that they're able to then use to navigate the world, you know? Uh, and mm -hmm. so they're, that's kind of interesting. I mean, the buildings are alive, you know, uh, with the sound of music. I mean, I, this is what's kind <laughs> of interesting about that world is being able to still have that human idea of dominance and, you know, domesticating some level of bacteria to use for you. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. I don't know if it's possible or not, but it's interesting. 
I'm not even sure those are bacteria they're domesticating down. I mean, that was the interesting thing about the movie, right? I mean, there's sort of that flavor, right? Basically, somebody just said to the animators, um, create whatever you want. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> and, and, and they had fun. And I will say, you know, it is definitely um, a more biologically oriented world that oddly leverages technology, right? They still mm-hmm. kind of have weapons, but you have the creature that shoots energy out of its face. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really know what that is, right? You know, there's just, it, there's a weirdness there that I think, like I said at the beginning, it's not a quantum world. It's not a quantum mm-hmm. weirdness. Mm-hmm. I think you've nailed it. It, it. Whatever it is, it feels at the scale of bacteria, that sort yeah. of level. Um, and yeah. goopiness and surface tension being more important and weird things happening. I, th- I think the other interesting thing to think about is, is it also like a bit of a perspective thing too. Like if you're shrunk really small, do, is the way you perceive the world a little different? Like mm-hmm. are we interpreting these things as people and aliens and whatnot living in this quantum world? Right. Where in reality, maybe they're somewhat simpler beings, but this is what weak as humans can comprehend is going on at that scale that that makes sense and i should mention so you guys are i, I was i wanted to go to bacteria and fungus and then in this movie they actually shrink down even more to the quantum True. world and so yeah. what we're talking about i guess i kind of mix it up there because in this quantum world that they shrink way 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 down into they are there's still creatures living there which doesn't make a lot of sense and i will say yeah. if you you know if you're a misanthrope you know ben and i i think we kind of share that trope uh share <laughs> that 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 trait uh, if you want to get away from the world what better way than to shrink down no one's ever going to find you right i mean that is kind mm-hmm. of a cool way to hide out uh but so th- this quantum world and this is kind of what you have a problem with then and is that this quantum world i don't really quite understand the definition and it's so small that it's even going past particles smaller than individual electrons way way down to a point where i don't really quite understand it I, that's where I, that's where my understanding ends at that in mid-sentence and my understanding ends mid-sentence and i think that's where like all of understanding ends for this movie but okay. i i do have a way i will attempt to save the movie um, okay it is Let's not it. the quantum world but imagine the following okay. right one thing we don't know exactly we've talked about this a lot on our shows is where, how quantum mechanics and gravity works and we've talked about a bunch of different things with wormholes and time travel and all that. One thing we have not talked about is the lattice theory of gravity. And the idea is that space and time is not continuous. It really is a lattice, a network of Hmm. of nodes, so to speak, right? And and when you think of gravity and space-time that way, there are a lot of genuine holes in it, um, an incredibly small length scale, the Planck scale. So Mm -hmm. I could imagine what they are talking about is not so much shrinking into the quantum world, but it's shrinking down so far, mm-hmm. you go below the Planck scale, you fall through one of these holes, and you then start growing a little bit again in a, outside a different hole in a different <laughs> space-time. Okay. So you're not fully big yet. Yeah. You're at some appropriate mm. sca- s- scale in a totally different reality. Got and it. the fact that you got just a little bit big on the other side, that's why it's so hard to get back. Right. Uh, so, okay. so yeah, you yeah. actually ha- that that little you know glowy portal thing that they go through is think of it as two funnels on either end. Right. You have to shrink so small, you can get through a hole in the quantum gravity lattice, but then you grow a little bit on the other side and that sticks you there. Uh, but if you can shrink back down and come back through, um, you're coming through these holes in the lattice that is space time. 
Wow. So that yeah. would so that would work because essentially the quantum world, I think, is supposed to be a world within a world that's outside of space and time. And so you're saying if so, you shrink down literally to the fundamental level of the universe, there are these little holes and you fall through. Uh, and, and you go to another parallel space time. So you're outside right. our space time. Right. Yeah. yeah and right. you're stuck in something else <laughs> at exactly the right size that you can't get through any holes. Wow. Yeah. Holy cow. And I, I guess that also makes sense. And there, there's so much variety. I mean, I guess there's variety in our in our world, too. But it seems like, especially in the quantum world, there's a, a huge variety of uh, humanoids down there, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is not, from what we can tell, a common thing on say a single planet. So I, it, it also is this like some sort of a trash dump where <laughs> everything shrinks down into the same world. And so this is just the outcasts of every uh, accidental quantum excursion. Every accidental shrinking. Here. Yeah, every accidental yeah. shrinking goes down there. That's interesting. I mean, that's a that's a cool theory, which might have some validity to it. I, I actually really, I really like it because you can imagine, right? It would explain why, why socks suddenly disappear um, from oh, yeah. our reality. Yeah. Um, they, there uh, may be these sudden shrinking events, low probability, rare events, your socks shrink, um, and then come alive. Cause some of those things did remind me of some of my missing socks. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. I mean, look, that's a heat, you know, drier heats, cotton shrinks, uh, you know, I, there might be something under there, not at the scale that we're normally talking about, but you're talking right. about a probability in the, you know, a yeah. highly un- improbable event, a rare quantum event, but yeah. not impossible. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, the way to test this, of course, is we we wash a lot of dry law socks at the low temp and the high temp, right? And see which one loses more socks. That's <laughs> <laughs> a great. That's a. I mean, th- well, that's what we're about here is empirical, hypothetical, uh, and evidence <laughs> that we create a hypothesis and test. That's what we're doing. We're scientific method here, all the way, guys. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I like this 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 explanation for the quantum world. Uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting is while Scott, the main character of Ant Man, is in the quantum world, there's this thing that happens where. Uh, he starts making decisions and then all of a sudden a bazillion people start showing up, identical versions of him and this, what mm-hmm. they call a probability storm where basically every quantum possibility suddenly appears at the same time. I thought this was a really cool part of this particular movie and I, I don't quite understand it, but I think it holds up because the thing that they say is you are in Schrodinger's box and you're the cat. And I love this shift of mm-hmm. perspective, which seems to be a common theme throughout this movie, is just shifting your perspective, and now you're inside the box and seeing everything that's possible. Uh, instead of being the observer, you know, checking everything out and making those quantum possibilities, you know, collapse. No, I think, Dan, this is the one part in the movie where I feel quantum mechanics in the title made sense. There okay. is so much in the quantum box that happens. It's going to blow people's minds. So I think before they get their mind blown, they should sit back and take a sip from their F triple GPT oh. mug. It's a great idea. Um, if they if they don't have one, now is a good time to pause the video and order one um, because it's really the mug and being a physics phenom that will keep you calm through the probability storm and allow you to understand the brilliant things I'm about to say. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Well, the <laughs> other thing is when you buy our merch, whether it be this lovely water bottle or the the mugs, it, that's that's something that's a decision that you're always going to make and you're not going to create multiple copies of yourself mm-hmm. if you decide to make that purchase and get 
a lovely water bottle. <laughs> oh, and I think if anyone shrinks down to a level and they go to an alien world, you want comfort. And nothing says comfort like mm. our wonderful t-shirts, uh, like biology is nature's technology, uh, a sentence that comes very handy when you're encountering all sorts of new technology. But this shirt will keep you nice, comfortable, warm, and, and it, it won't shrink when washed. So it'll always remain the same size. Uh, and constant size is extraordinarily important when you're dealing with shrinking. Uh, you want to know what you want to know what where you are in, in the uh, size scale. Uh, so this, you know, so let's continue on with this, Denon. So tell yeah. me, how does this po- probability storm work, and how he it eventually all, everyone seems to work together? I don't quite know how this works, but I feel like you got a great explanation. Yeah, there's two pieces to it. Let's do the probability storm first. I mean, everyone's familiar with Schrodinger's cat, and it it might be alive, it might be dead. I'm I'm assuming everyone's familiar with it because it's mentioned all the time. Right. And that's kind of the cool thing about this is they say you're in a box where now quantum stuff is really happening, and you mm-hmm. get a whole bunch of scots. You you really have cats in a superposition of states in the box. Some are alive, some are dead, some are halfway in between. And you see, even even the Scott who's still working at, I think it was a Baskin and Robbins that gets fired right, from. Right, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right, yeah. right, you know. So you see the whole host of them. And I love that visualization. We've talked before about, um, you know, the sort of quantum multiverse, right? Mm-hmm. Where the wave function doesn't collapse, but you just, every time you get it, you branch into different wave functions. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a box with nobody observing you, right, this would keep happening until there's a final observation. So that piece is really cool. Um, I, I love that part of it. I'll talk about the the solution in the end a little bit more, but make sure we understand this quantum box part. Ah, so I mean, that could also make sense because it, it kind of helps to resolve the situation when hope enters and you now have two beings observing each other mm. in the box. Ah, that's No, that is definitely oh. part of it because we know observers matter and different quantum particles can interact. So having hope in the box is a good thing. The final piece, Dan, you mentioned, yeah. and I think this is the most brilliant physics of the movie, is when okay. all of the Scots work together. And it just comes down to whether Scott's a boson or a fermion. And that is not an insult. I didn't mm-hmm. say bozo. Mm, right. It's really right, important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. In physics, particles are either bosons or fermions. Fermions can't be in the exact same state. Bosons can collapse to the same state. Okay. And when they do, they behave in incredible unifying ways. That's superconductivity. It's superfluids that do really bizarre stuff. Mm. And that's what happens to Scott. He realizes he's all one Scott. He's actually a boson. They can all be in the same state. And that state is save my daughter. And once he collapses to that state, they work in this coherent, amazing fashion. And that really is the power of the quantum boson. Well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like. I love that it's the saving Cassie thing. Like that's a decision every Scott is always going to make mm-hmm. is to save their save his their daughter. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> let's sure. not worry about the semantics part of that. Sure, one. but uh, it, it's just this fascinating thing that like it starts by you know he he creates multiple copies because of the decisions of how to go about this heist. But in the end, it's all about doing the one thing to accomplish the one goal of saving the daughter. And that's how they can all work together. It's a unifying theory and a unifying force. Uh, that I think is really cool, and and it's it's illustrated so perfectly, you know, in in that yeah. movie. Uh, and so one last thing here, you know, that I think is also perfectly illustrated is we see the ants. You know, we we he's called Ant Man. Uh, you know, the scene Pim Senior uh, really enjoys working with ants, and we see them come. You know, the at the end, the ants seem to have lots of technology, and I thought mm-hmm. this was interesting because. 
you know, could you, ants are known for having a hive mind. They all work together in a way that is, you know, almost like, I don't want to say it's pure communism, but they, they, they are communal. They, they all are working for the good of the hive. There are no real individuals. And so I wonder, you know, if given enough time, you know, we as individuals in competition have created technology and, and creativity and all this, because that's kind of what's evolutionarily that's where we've gone from an evolutionary standpoint. But would a hive mind mm-hmm. do that? Do they need to do that? Do creatures with their own tools need to create even better tools? You know, and there's a time dilation thing going on here. So, but so basically, it's that question of into infinity, would they be able to evolve in this direction? And I don't know what the answer is. I mean, what, what do you think, Denon? Well, you know, there's sort of two things here um, that I, I think about. One I mentioned earlier is the problem of fire being big at that scale. So, most interesting technology comes from being able to heat stuff and recombine it in creative ways. Mm-hmm. So they would definitely have to figure out a heat source, I think. So that's there's a technology challenge to their technology development. Got it. And then there is the biological challenge of, is there enough evolutionary pressure on them to do this? Mm-hmm. And I think this is where we see human impact on evolution. Okay. We are a weird feedback system, right? Some of our, a lot of our evolution now is in the technology space from pressures we put on ourselves to get better technology. Okay. And these are ants that interacted with Pym Sr. And had time dilation have a long time to work. So I think this would probably not happen naturally, Mm -hmm. but with the influence of, of someone else, completely possible. You have to remember the two things that they they've come into this world with, right? One is they they've now they they they've like been given tech by Pim that like he shrunk down for the ants. So they're they're coming in with this stuff that's like kickstarting them, and because they're in a different world where maybe now fire is on ant scale, <laughs> uh, right? You know they 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 can solve that problem, and now as a hive mind, they're able to develop their technology over the thousand years of the time dilation they have and create the class two civilization that they use to then help <laughs> defeat King. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> it does. Yeah, well, and there's another feature here, uh-huh. Dan, that's really important that both you and Ben mentioned people have not yet watched our Star Wars episode. They should. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Because you, you mentioned the important role of HR and, 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 you know, controlling mm. things, mm-hmm. you know, in the hive mind, you do have a lot of worker ants who maybe don't rate the same kind of level of expendability that humans do. Yes. Um, we correctly in our society have, you know, kind of changed things since the initial industrial revolution, and we don't quite use our workers in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the ants might be willing to um, do riskier experimentation um, because there is an infinite number of workers. So there is that... Um, advantage once they're put down this path. Right. Now, there's a chance that all those workers are a barrier to going down that path naturally. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, it, it is kind of, I mean, when you look at, we, you know, we don't do a lot of ex- human experimentation. Well, we do. Uh, but it's usually either an ethics limitation, which not everyone has, or it's just a human body limitation because it takes a long time to make a human being. It doesn't take as long right. to make an ant. And, you know, mm-hmm. if they're willing to sacrifice for the good of the hive, that is where their advantage comes in. I'm actually surprised we don't have more hive mindy type creatures at a large scale higher up on, you know, the uh, on the and an, the, in the animal kingdom. Right. I mean, when you look, think about it, computers and the Internet, that's really a hive mind. Right. I mean, we could all agree 
that that's the case. So maybe the next evolution, it would be, you know, this is where AI robots, droids come in, and it's that hive mind that gives them that advantage, maybe at those higher levels. I and mean, what do you guys think about that? Well, I think you're right, uh, possibly for our computers, for one reason, um, but you know me, I know they're not going to take over, so I'm okay, Dan, I'm not worried about that. Okay. Um, I, I think the reason they may not take over is the same reason the ants haven't gone to technology yet without an outside influence. Um, again, uh, it's a great source. The Scientific American article I read years ago, I, I have no idea how much to trust it, but there was evidence that the Roman Empire could have gone to an industrial revolution, except it had a huge slave base, so it had no need. Right. Because it had all those mm -hmm. workers. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So so the AI might be like, ah, why do we need to bother taking over? All the humans are already giving us all the energy and food we need. Um, Interesting. I, we don't need anything else out of them, right? They're, yeah. they're doing, they're, we are already doing what they want. <laughs> so why, why go to another level, right? You're happy. Yeah. All I'm hearing is we should really watch out for the prairie dogs and the meerkats who <laughs> kind of work as a hive mind in their little colonies. <laughs> That's my concern now. Have you ever you know, seen them? They look very human and they're always thinking. <laughs> yeah. So you might be onto something there, Ben. Yeah. Don't give a prairie dog an iPhone. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I think that's a, that's a horrible idea. Uh, but what isn't a horrible idea here, guys, is to talk about things that we've missed, right? We've talked about quite a bit here, but let's get to our errors, additions, and omissions section. Things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Denon, is there anything about Ant-Man, the quantum world, or just shrinking in general that you wanted to just quickly mention? Well, I just think it is kind of random to eat goo to suddenly understand languages. Right. Um, you, you know, there mm -hmm. there is there is the problem in any science fiction movie um, that fundamentally we recognize that not all beings evolved to speak English. Mm -hmm. um, and so you need a way for these creatures to quickly talk to each other or the movie is very slow and long as they try and figure out each other's language. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, and goo as the universal translator... Um, you know, is interesting, particularly here where the daughter eats the goo first and we don't know why. And she's just shouting at her dad, eat the goo. Like, there's <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah. here. There's just a lot here, Dan, that I, I didn't quite process. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it is interesting. I mean, it's a great way to get everyone on the same page. I mean, although one of them is, is. telepathic as well, which that would be easier. But, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> everyone speaking the same language would be really cool language. for communication. Uh, yeah. what, what about you, Ben? Anything that we missed that you want to talk about? You know, I, th I think the scary thing for me here is even though, you know, Kang civilization is very advanced, just like in Star Wars, there's no space OSHA. There doesn't seem to be a quantum OSHA either. Right. <laughs> uh, what's with all these narrow bridges without railings over deadly, deadly chasms? Uh, you know, is a railing that hard? It just shows the lack of care that King has for his people and why he loses. Just like the Empire in Star Wars. <laughs> I love your dedication to human and, and creature safety, Ben. I mean, it's remarkable yeah. uh, and admirable for sure. And I'm, I agree with you 100%. Uh, but one person I, I, I don't think is admirable, that's MODOK, who makes an appearance in mm. this in this movie. We did a whole episode on MODOK, which I'll link to. Uh, you know, the name stands for Mechanized Organism Designed Only for Killing, but he has got to be the biggest joke in the Marvel Kingdom. I was hoping he would actually be a little more deadly. Uh, 
but he's he's just kind of silly and goofy. And I think they missed something here. I think this would have been a really cool reoccurring character who's got a little bit of a cult following. <laughs> uh, but again, check out our episode. Uh, you'll learn more. And I have to mention that Bill Murray is in this movie, which is so much fun. I absolutely love Bill. <laughs> and it's great to see him in any movie whatsoever. Uh, you know, hopefully in the future, we're going to do a couple more movies with Bill Murray. Uh, but, you know, if we've missed anything that you wanted to mention, uh, you, our audience listening in, if you've noticed something, let us know about it. You can get in touch with us on social media. The show can be found on Twitter at FGGBTPod, on Facebook at FGGBT. But you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on all the major or most of the major social media networks with flipping my name at Denon Michael. Um, the one exception is um, really Facebook. You got to stick a prof in there at Prof Denon Michael. And really, I know you're trying to find me on TikTok. I may get there eventually, but for now, I, I realize your disappointment, but you know, don't look too hard. I'm not there. Well, I'm not disappointed. <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be completely shut down soon anyway, uh, <laughs> because the, uh, for it being silly, I, I think it just be shut down completely. Uh, what about you, Ben? Where can you be found? Are you on TikTok, Discord, and all the other crazy social media platforms that most people don't know about? Uh, well, I'm on all the public social media <laughs> platforms <laughs> at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind, and on Instagram at The Daniel J. Glenn. And I forgot to mention, you can find the show on the web, of course, www.fgbt.com. And if you have a question you want us to answer, send us an email, questions at fgbt.com. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're watching this on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. Now, you want to take what we've given you and do good with it. Remember, you always want to be a superhero, never a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there fgbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.